<clears throat> so um, as we continue our study in the book of Acts, um, I have a question for you guys. Uh, when we hear of the finished work of Christ, what comes to your mind? Here in the modern church, predominantly the Western church, we regard the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ of most importance. And it should be. But if we want to be a gospel-centered church, it's not the only event that complete the gospel. The ascension is one of the least doctrines talked about within the body of Christ. I mean, when was the last time we had a Bible study on the ascension? Go ahead, I'll wait. <clears throat> I'm serious, I'm waiting. No, it's, you know, I blame myself first. Um, but uh, studying the doctrine of the ascension has opened my eyes uh, to a deeper meaning of who Christ is what he has done, and what he continues to do. There's a reason why Luke ends his gospel account and begins his historical narrative with the ascension. It plays a major role for the rest of the New Testament teaching and writings. See, the birth and death, the resurrection of Christ have no meaning without the ascension. And the ascension has no meaning without, without the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ. You can't divorce these two events, or all these events, and make one more significant than the other. But we have, and it's sad. See, the ascension only makes sense if we understand in this passage. Please turn with me uh, to Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, and give me an amen once you get there. You can turn there, scroll there, whatever device you're using, but let's get there. <clears throat> amen? All right, thank you. Yeah, and, and let me get amens. Let me get hallelujahs. Praise the Lord, please. I need you. I need you today. You hear something that God's speaking, amen, amen. It won't distract me. It encouraged me. Now help me, please. So let's read Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What is this passage saying? What this passage is saying is that God, the creator of the universe who created me and you, humbled himself and became a human being. That even though he was God, he did not count equality with God. He laid aside certain attributes. He did not lay aside his deity but he laid aside certain attributes to become a human being. What he created, he became. Came through a virgin birth. He lived a life of sinless perfection, active obedience, pleased the Father, and he humbled himself and served his creation. And then he served them in a way of going to the cross, like it says here on Philippians 2, that even dead to a cross, to pay for our sins. And he died, and he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. See, the birth and death of resurrection only makes sense if we understand the ascension. Now, I won't be able to cover everything on the ascension. We can go a whole year preaching through the ascension. But I'm going to cover some key points. So if I miss something, please forgive me, and we can go over them in our community groups. 
And that is, one of them is, what is the ascension? Number two is, what did the ascension accomplish? And number three is, what did the ascension do for the church? Because of the ascension, we have a king who rules and reigns now. That's it. We can go home. For real. That's what the ascension does. So let's uh, turn with me uh, to Acts chapter 1. That's where we're going to be at. And I'm going to read it uh, from 1 to 14. So we read it in context. If you're there, please say amen. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until that day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while they were staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he has said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had came together, or have you come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons, that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is our text for today. And when he has said these things, as they were looking on, he, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you, have him, as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the Selet, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the woman, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. What do we see here in verse 9? What is the ascension? Is this someone... El Levitating and just disappearing in front of our own eyes and going into another realm? Or was it like Elijah when he took, when God took him, or Enoch? Uh, by no means. The ascension is the coronation of Jesus Christ as he ends his earthly ministry, as he ends his earthly mission. You see, the Father has sent his Son to redeem his people and restore them back in right relationship with God. And now the Father is receiving his Son back into his presence. You see, John 1.1 1, 1 describes the relationship he had with his Son. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That Word that was with God, it was face-to-face -face intimacy. That's the type of relationship that the Son has with the Father. And the Father has sent him. And 
They didn't have that type of intimate relationship at that moment at that time. So can, you can only imagine what type of coronation and celebration this is going down in heaven. See, verse 9, look, look with me, also shows us that not only he ascends, but he sits at the right hand of the Father. This means that the Father had exalted his work, that the work that he did here on earth was satisfied, was complete, it was finished. After all the humili humiliation, after all the suffering, after all the pain, after all the act of obedience, after all, everything he was going through, he finally comes and sits at his rightful place, which is the throne. And as the cloud took him, keep following here with me. As the cloud took him out of the sight, see, oftentimes in the Bible we see cloud references. And every time that those cloud references is talking about is the Shekinah glory of God. As we see Jesus ascending here in verse 9, we see him being taken up in the glory of God. This means that God restored his glory back to him. The human limitations that he had that he laid down aside in Philippians 2 no longer exist. He has a full glorified body now that he had rose from the dead. See, Matthew 17 gives us a glimpse of the glory of God at the transfiguration. You see, I believe the scriptures record this beautiful conversation, and I like to imagine, as when he was entering heaven to go back to the Father. Please turn with me to Psalms 24. Get an amen when you get there, please. Amen, amen. So just picture this. A conversation as he's entering into his heaven. To entering into, to receive his throne. So verse 7 reads, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Turn with me to Psalm 110 as we see his father reply. See, Psalm 110 is the most quoted verse in the whole New Testament. And there's a reason why the apostles kept quoting and quoting, and you see that throughout the New Testament. Let me get an amen when you get there. So after all the suffering that Jesus did, after all the sacrificing, the healing, the miracles, and just living his life uh, here on earth for us, and being brutalized, shamed, spit upon, after all that, and taking the wrath of God, the Father just sees him, and all he can say is this. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. That's what the Father tells him as soon as he sees him. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. The Lord sends forth from sign your mighty scepter, which is the gospel message. Ruin the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy, holy garments. That is the people of God, the church, to be set apart. From the womb of the morning, 
the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand and will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpse. He will shatter sheaves over them, over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. What a conversation. What a conversation that the king of glory has ascended. So what does the ascension accomplish? It crowns Jesus as king of heaven and earth and is given dominion over an everlasting kingdom. Daniel 7, 13 through 14 reads, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Because of the ascension, he has given dominion over every power, every, every spiritual realm, every principality, every kingdom here on earth, over every nation. Ephesians 1 to 22. Through 23 reads that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above rule, above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not in this age, not only in this age, but the one to come. This means he, complete, he completed his mission. He completed uh, his ministry. He defeated sin, death, and Satan. So that Satan can no longer deceive the nations anymore. Revelation 21-3 reads, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding his hands in the key, with the key at the bottomless, to the bottomless pit, and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he drew him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him. So that he might, he might not, so he might not deceive the nations any longer. That means the gospel message can go forward and continue to proclaim and continue to build the kingdom of God. What else did the ascension accomplish? The sending of the Holy Spirit. Notice that the Holy Spirit did not come until Jesus was crowned. John 16:7 reads, "Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away." For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, at the time, the apostles didn't understand uh, what Jesus was talking about when he was saying he was going to leave. They didn't understand yet the importance of the ascension. I mean, who wouldn't want Jesus right now? In a sense, we can use Jesus right here in Los Angeles and North Long Beach, physically present. I mean, it would be for our comfort, for our own interest, if you ask me. I mean, he walked around healing people. He walked around feeding people. He rose people from the dead. And he also debated the religious leaders and made, made them look foolish. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to be fed? We need a lot of healing around here with this, what is it, corona flu or something like that that's going around? Yeah, so who wouldn't want a loved one raised from the dead as well? Isn't that the reason why the apostles asked at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom? 
back to Israel because they saw him present there. All the miracles that he did, and now they see him in a glorified body raising from the dead. At this time, is this this moment that you're going to restore the kingdom back to us? But I believe he prepared their hearts before the atonement as we read that he was with them for 40 days, teaching them the scriptures, showing them what was the kingdom of God. And it was true. It's better for him to go away. We are his witnesses right now because we get to testify to the fact that the Spirit lives in us, and although that we haven't seen them, yet we still believe. He can be at many different locations right now with different saints around the world, comforting them, being there with them. What, is the, what does the text say? Blessed are those who don't see me and yet believe. That's the truth. Amen? Blessed are those. We're here in, in Long Beach, believing 2,000 plus years later in a Jewish Messiah who rose from the dead. But just because he ascended and the Spirit descended, it doesn't mean that Jesus is just kicking out on his throne and just, you know, just watching all this unfold. John 14 reads, John 14 reads that, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? Would I have told you that? I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may also be. So he's, at, he's in heaven. He's on his throne. And he's continuing to work. He hasn't stopped working. He's fulfilling his heavenly ministry. So who is Jesus for us in heaven? Number one. He's our high priest. He intercedes for us and gives us sufficient grace. Hebrews 14, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 reads, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that so timely this morning? He's also our advocate. He's our advocate before the Father when we commit sins. John 1, 2, 1 John 2, 2, 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, please do not misunderstand this text. That just because you have an advocate means that you have a license to sin. Because you don't. Because if that's the attitude that you have, believe me, he is not your advocate. It's not a license for you to sin. He's saying that if you do sin and you recognize that you sin, how is your heart and how is your posture towards your sin? Does it affect you? Does it weigh down your heart? Does it just bring you and it crushes you because you have sinned against your very own father, your very own savior? Now, if your posture is like that, 
then he, there's enough grace, there's enough mercy, there's enough, he's an advocate. Because it shows that you're alive. It shows that he's transformed your heart. Point number four is, he's the head of the church. He is the one building his church. And he has chosen how he wants to build it. But he is involved and he is active. Colossians, Colossians 1.18 uh, reads, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. Mark 16, 19 to 20 reads, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So the Lord was with them actively and he continues to do so. Which leads me to verse 10. Take a look at it with me. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. See a couple observations that we see here in verse 10. If you notice, uh, when Jesus was ascending, the apostles were just gazing. You know, like probably some of us would not I don't think we would have been gazing. I think we would have been freaked out, to be honest with you. You guys ever seen those David Blaine uh, videos where he's like levitating like two, three feet and people just start freaking out and running all over the place and screaming? That's probably what we would have been doing instead of gazing. But you see, there we're gazing. When was the last time a loved one, hear this, a loved one, when he departs, you just gaze and you're happy? Loved one, because if it ain't a loved one, you're just gazing and saying, man, thank God he's going, right? When was the last time? No, it's usually full of sorrow. It's usually full of sadness. It's usually full of fear when someone departs. You see, I think that the apostles here understood, and as Luke records in the gospel, more of the emotions that they were feeling when he was ascending. It's because they had a true understanding of the ascension. Check this out. And he held them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and he blessed them. I mean, that's why they were gazing. Imagine the last picture you see of your Savior is he's holding out his hand and he's blessing the apostles. And this is the kicker here. Check it out. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. That should be an encouragement to us. That they understood that, that he is God, he is in control. Oh man, we need this kind of faith here. Let us just gaze and marvel at the word of God, of what Jesus is telling us right now. Jesus saw it fit for them to understand, to learn the word of God within those 40 days. Let us be reminded that he is faithful, that he is in control in whatever trial that we may be going on right now. But don't just stay there gazing at it. Let your feet be mobilized. Verse 11 here, these men... That appear to them. These are none but eight, nothing but messengers of God. These are angels. And he reminds them of the work that they had ahead of them. That's why he tells them, what are you doing there just gazing, looking there? There's nothing to see there anymore. Jesus is gone. He has ascended. He's on his throne. He hits them with the prophetic announcement 
of the second coming. See, the ascension puts the second coming into motion. We don't know the time, and we, know the, we don't know the date when that second coming is going to happen. But each day that passes, we draw much closer to that day for his return to come back and consummate the earth and heaven. Now, now the, own, the angels only say here that he will come back the same way that he left. But to all my dispensational friends, you're trying to decode this. No, I'm just kidding, guys. I'm just messing with you guys. Some of you are going to get this joke, but you see, there's a lot of different views on the second coming of Christ. And the thing that I say is that we all can be wrong on how it's going to unfold. But the one thing that we are right is that we all agree is that he's coming back. You see, but I like to believe that when that Christ reigns right now and he rules right now. And that when he said, therefore go, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth means all authority. So therefore go. You see, I like to believe that when he said that the kingdom of God was at hand, that he meant it. I like, I like to believe that when he said, if I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He meant it. Did he cast out demons? Yes, he did. I also like to believe that when the father said to him in Psalm 2, ask of me and I will give you the nations. I don't believe Jesus forgot to ask for the nations. I highly believe that we're here on the other side of the Middle East, another nation believing in Christ. I also like to believe that when he comes, he comes one, he doesn't come halfway, and then goes back and then comes back again. It's called the second coming. I'm just having fun again with my dispensational friends, guys. Ask your leader in your community group what that means. <laughs> so I won't tell you where I stand, but those are along the lines. But the angel did mention that he was coming back in the same manner that he did leave. How did we see him leave? Number one, as a king. And he's coming back to consummate his kingdom. Number two, with glory. And when he comes back, we will see his radiance like the transfiguration in a glorified human body. Number three, with power. When he comes back, he will no longer be the lamb that was slain, but the lion of the tribe of Judah. And lastly, as a husband, as he goes prepare homes and places in a mansion for us, when he comes back, he will receive his bride. The church. See, the second coming should bring us comfort. We should be a church that anticipates the second coming. We should long for the second coming. But let the second coming bring us a sense of urgency to be pursuing the lost, to proclaim the gospel. Let us be reminded that we shouldn't just stay here and keep staring at heaven. We must get to work. The harvest is plentiful, and the laborers are few. Jesus is saying, look, there's a multitude of people out there that I have chosen to come and to fellowship with me and worship me. Go. Now, I didn't give you guys any special lenses to look at those hearts, so go to everyone, every nation, 
every tongue to the ends of the earth. And this brings me to the last verse. Verse 12, follow along with me, please. They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they, heard, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. What is it that we see here? We see the first church. We see the ascension of Christ ended his early ministry, but he handed it off to his church. The 11 asked him, after the 40 days of Bible study, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom back to Israel? I keep mentioning that because that is crucial. He did not give them a time. He did not give them a date. But he told them how we're going to restore this kingdom. They were to be his witnesses here to the ends of the earth. And that's how the ascension, and that's how Jesus decided he would build his kingdom through the local church one person at a time. So what do we see from the first church after they witnessed the ascension? Number one, we see obedience. Verse 12, they returned to Jerusalem from the location of the ascension. It means that they returned and were obedient to what he said and waited for the Holy Spirit just the way Jesus commanded them. Imagine witnessing the ascension. You would think that you were elevated to a higher precision, a higher power. You just witnessed something great. Let me go tower everyone. No. Nah. I mean, I'm sure that's what they wanted, but their obedience and their allegiance to Jesus was more important. So they waited for power and authority from the Holy Spirit, not on their own authority, not on their own power. They waited. They didn't put themselves higher or elevated themselves higher than any other believer. As we continue to read here on the text, Philippians 2, 3 to 4 reads, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in, humility account, but, but, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. What else do we see? We see the gift of leadership. We see the 11, the men of Galilee. God chose them to start his church. You see, the Lord at the time, he was the one doing the ministry. He was the one doing the preaching. He was the one doing the teaching. But then he passed it on to the 11. And there were his witnesses. And they preached. And they taught men. They taught women. And they taught children. Look back here at verse 11 for me. When the angels rebuke the, the, the 11, he calls in men of Galilee. See, I find this interesting because in chapter 2, we are going to study the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And in that event, they start speaking different languages. And then the people that are hearing them in those languages in the native tongue, they're surprised. They're like, aren't these Galileans that are speaking our tongue? The point I'm trying to make here is that men from Galilee, they weren't really looked at leaders. They weren't looked at 
professionals or educated or eloquent speakers or just people that they thought that they would lead and shepherd and preach. They were regular blue-collar workers with minimal education. Take, for example, myself. Okay? I am a product of the LAUSD. All right? That's probably worse than being a Galilean. No joke. You see, where I come from, Bell High School, you don't get rocket scientists. You don't get presidents. You don't get professional athletes either. You get someone like me, and you get someone like Ivan. All right? Go Eagles. Yeah. Yeah, you get regular barbers, man, like myself. Regular college work, uh, blue-collar workers. You get a hustler here and there that made it. You know what I mean? But that's about it. But here I am in the local body, a leader in this local church. And by his grace and his mercy alone, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm not the brightest star in the sky. But I'm willing to preach his word faithfully. And I'm willing to lay down my life the sheep you see God does not call the qualified he qualifies the called Ephesians 4 9 to 13 reads and saying he ascended what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and of knowledge and of the Son of God, to mature manhood and to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. That means any of us are fit for the kingdom building. Every single one of us in here. He does not use the standards of the world. He doesn't use the high in prestige. There's nothing wrong with high in prestige, but this is the way he works. Point number three, we see togetherness. <clears throat> we see a beautiful picture here of the church together in one accord, fellowshipping, fasting, breaking of bread, and enjoying one another's company, worshiping the ascended king. Both men, women are awaiting and children for the pouring of the Holy Spirit to be clothed with power. We don't see division, we see unity, we see familial interdependence. We see them waiting for the God. When God moves, we move. We see a church that understands the ascension of Jesus. And all the benefits that come with it. See, we live, a, we live in a time here in America where the church is very divided. Very divided. And it's over things that are plainly clear in the scriptures that how to even treat an image bearer of God. Especially in the body of Christ. We live in a very divided time. People disagree because different theological positions, different doctrines, and so forth. They don't even know how to maintain the unity of the common confession of Jesus Christ as Lord. 
hard times, but allow me to quote this British preacher by the name of Roland Hill. I don't, I don't want walls of separation between different orders of Christians to be destroyed. Meaning, we understand the scriptures differently. That's okay. There's different body parts within the body of Christ. But only lowered that we may shake hands a little easier over them. If we can do that, we can continue to build the kingdom of God. And as I call the worship team up, is there a worship team today? No? No? Okay, good. All right. See, John Calvin also said, it is a task of the visible church to make the invisible kingdom of Christ visible. And as I get to my last point, we see here on verse 14, we see the gospel proclamation. See, the first church understood the full gospel, the birth, death, and resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. Look at me, look, look with me at verse 14. So we see the mom of Jesus, Mary, engaged in the local church. How I wish my Roman Catholic friends can see that. That the mom of Jesus Christ engaged in the local church, not elevating herself, in prayer with the body of Christ, waiting to be clothed with power by the Holy Spirit to go proclaim that Jesus is King and He is Lord. But also, look with me and notice that it's not only Mary. It's also his brothers. And if you don't know about his brothers, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Even raising people from the dead, doing all these miracles, even rising from the dead, they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Two things happened. Either Jesus appeared to them after he rose from the dead, or the apostles went back and gave him the full gospel that he had ascended and he is king and he is Lord and he is God. And look at them, they're there worshiping, waiting to be clothed by the power of the Holy Spirit as well too. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture. I'm waiting to see that in my household, to see my mom sitting here hearing and worshiping the King of Kings, to see my dad there, to see the rest of my brothers. Let this bring us comfort that even the brothers of Jesus did not believe. But the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You see, if we are going to reduce lostness and produce disciples, we need to get the gospel right. It's not about stamping people's passports so they can get into heaven. It's about giving them the good news that God came and dwelled among us. Being born of a virgin by living a sinful, I mean living a sinless perfection life and dying on the cross on our behalf. Absorbing the full wrath, then buried and being rose again on the third day. And he ascended to the throne and he is king. He is my king. He is your king. Whether you bow the knee in his grace and his mercy or you will bow the knee in his judgment. Either way, that knee is going to be bowed. Let it be out of worship, adoration, and praise as opposed to pride and rebellion. And as I conclude, let us just recap of uh, what this passage has taught us today. It's the ascension is a coronation of Jesus Christ. Jesus sits on the throne and he is king. He finishes his earthly ministry and he starts his heavenly one by preparing a place for us in his home. He puts the second coming into motion 
by commissioning blue-collar workers to establish his kingdom and build his church made of men, made of women, kids that continually pray with one accord. We should be a praying church. We should proclaim his good news. And one thing I'll leave you with this, we can easily be uh, distracted by wanting to go back to the time where Jesus walked on earth. I mean, I said it myself too, you know, I wish I was in those times. I wanted to witness the resurrection. I wanted to witness, you know, the ascension. I wanted to be in those times and so forth. And believe me, the, the great times. Or we can fast forward and be like, I want to be here when he comes back. I want to live as long as to see him coming back. Let's not live in that moment. We live in a special time right now, in this moment, just like those. We live in a time where he's on the throne, and he is king, and he is ruling, and he is reigning, and we have the spirit of God inside of us. That is a special moment in time to be and to proclaim the good news and watch people get saved. Watch him go to work because he is building his kingdom one person at a time. Let us be obedient. Let us have a heart for heaven, but let us also have a heart for earth. And let's mobilize to continue to build his kingdom for the sake of his glory. Thank you, church. Let us pray. Father, uh, what a privilege it is to um, just know that you have ascended, Lord. What a privilege it is that the scriptures testify this, that you are king and that that you are in control and that you are sovereign. Let us just look at the doctrine of the ascension differently. Let it grip our hearts. Let it comfort our hearts. Let us, let us be reminded that, that you are preparing a place, Lord, and that you are still working on our behalf. That you are high priest, that you are an advocate, that you, you're a mediator, Lord, and that you are closer to us more than ever. May we bow our knees to you and humble ourselves and adore you and praise your glorious name. Thank you for the opportunity to be ambassadors of the gospel message, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for, for using us and allowing us to be part of your story, of your kingdom, of your will. May your will be done, Lord. May you save those who are lost and bring them back to you so they can see an ascended king who has a kingdom that has no end. We thank you, we love you, we honor you, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.